Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast is set for one episode. Your host from Columbus, Ohio, is Michael Kirk. Welcome to the Outlaw Mudcast. Hello and welcome to the Outlaw Mudcast, your digital audio dirt sheet for all things super show. The top story for this week is going to be the updates to the Rising Stars Tournament and to Faction Wars 3. I'll start with the Rising Stars Tournament. We have a top 16. We knew what the matchups were. Now we know what the stipulations are going to be and when the deck lists are due for the next round. Let's talk about the stipulations for the next four rounds. The round of 16, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals. We'll start with the round of 16. All of the matches in the round of 16 will be played using the dark match stipulation. In this stipulation, all of the spotlight cards in your deck are blank. So if they're in your hand, they're blank. If they're in play, in blank. If they're in the discard pile, they're blank. The discard pile, from what I understand, is not public knowledge. Your opponent cannot ask you what is in there, and you don't show your opponent what is in there. With a couple of exceptions. If you have a card that requires you to get a particular type of card from the discard pile. For example, a card like Drawing Dimes, that when it hits, you add a card from your discard pile to your hand. That's a finished card. You add a finished card from your discard to your hand. You do have to show your opponent you actually added a finished card. But outside of specific things like that, the discard pile is not public knowledge. Additionally, in the dark match stipulation matches for this tournament, count-out victories are possible. Wins via disqualification are possible. So both of those are live, are possibilities to win and advance in this round. Now, I've seen it posted that the matches in this round and in every round going forward are two out of three falls. I've also seen it posted more recently that the dark match matches in the round of 16 are one fall to a finish. I'm going to go with that because that's the most recent information, but that could be subject to change. Next, in the quarterfinal round, All of the matches are tag team matches. So the players that advance from the round of 16 to the round of 8 will be given a partner. That partner could be somebody that has already been eliminated from the Rising Stars Tournament. That partner could be somebody from outside of the Rising Stars Tournament. Possibly their coaches, for example. We just don't know. But in the round of 8, in the quarterfinal round, all of the matches will be tag team matches. The semi-final round matches will all be TLC matches, tables, ladders, and steel chains. And then the finals of the Rising Stars tournament will be played using the main event stipulation. Now, in between every round, you can change your deck list up to the semi-final round. You can change your deck list going into the semifinal round, but for those players in the semifinals that make it to the finals, they must use the same deck they used 
in the semi-final round. They cannot change it. As far as being able to change your decks based on the opponents you're going to be facing, as of right now, from what I understand, the opponent's competitors are not public knowledge. From this point going forward, you have to use the same competitor for the rest of the tournament, but those are not public knowledge. I do not know if you ask your opponent who they're using, if they have to tell you, or if it's just up to them if they want to tell you. I don't know that part. I have not seen that published anywhere. If it's optional, I certainly would not want to give my opponent the advantage of knowing who I'm playing. Now, for this round of 16, the deck lists are due today. So as I'm recording this, the deck lists are due. So if you're hearing this and you're in the tournament, hopefully you've submitted your deck list because by the time this comes out, by the time you hear this recording, it is going to be more than likely too late for you to submit the deck list. Once those deck lists have been submitted, I believe you can start playing your matches. Matches must be completed by December 27th. So deck lists were due on the 19th. Matches must be played by the 27th. The top eight, the quarterfinal round, will not start until after the new year, until 2022. That's all the news I have about the Rising Stars tournament. Let's talk about Faction Wars Phase 2. This is the top eight, the top eight remaining teams in Faction Wars 3. I'm going to give you the matchups first and talk about what they have to play in Phase 2. So, the four matchups are the Team of Impact versus Cuddle Commandos, Dangerous Wool Order versus New Wield Order, the Armada versus the Higher Class, and Sinfully Sweet versus Crime Wave. Here are the matches they're going to have to play in Phase 2. The first set of matches are going to be the skill matches. Like in the previous phases, all the 10 skills will play off against each other. So, 10 power will play 10 power, 10 technique will play 10 technique, so on and so forth. In addition, the Tornadoes team player will play the other tornado team player, tornado tag team player. The trios players will play each other. These are going to be two out of three falls matches. One point for each win. No point losses if you are swept. So the winner will get two points. The loser will get a maximum of one point. The singles matches will use the standard singles crowd meter. The Tornado will use a modified crowd meter where at crowd meter 1, they get plus 1 to their finish roll at 2 plus 2, at crowd meter 3 plus 4, at 4 plus 6, and 5 plus 8. Trios, similarly modified, at crowd meter 1 plus 1, at 2 plus 2, at crowd meter 3 plus 6, 4 plus 9, and 5 plus 12. The next type of matches are going to be tag team matches. Each team will form three tag teams and rank them A, B, and C when submitting their deck lists. Tag Team A for one team will play Tag Team A for another. B 
B for one team will play B for the other, and C for one team will play C for the other. These are all one fall to a finish matches, two points for each win. The next set of matches, the next category of matches, the third string captain's matches. So, in the previous phase, each captain selected a co-captain, and they had a co-captain's match. Meaning the captain had to pick somebody other than himself to play in this match. In this third string match, the captain will have to choose a player other than himself and other than the co-captain he chose last phase to be in this match. So each captain for each team will pick that player. Those players will face off in a Raven's Blood Cemetery match, one fall to a finish. The winner earns two points for their team. The final category of the match is the Tornado Plus category. The two Tornado Tag Team players will face off. They get to add the gimmick for their singles competitor to their Tornado Tag Team competitor. So it's effectively like an accompanied to the ring by a match, where the Tornado Tag Team players will be accompanied to the ring by the competitor they use in singles play. That's effectively what it is. Now, according to what's been published, the graphic that's been published, they're going to be using the singles, crowd meter, no disqualification, no countout, which is normal for Tornado Tag Teams anyway. Based on what I'm reading, it's going to be the standard crowd meter, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, plus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That might change. They might end up using the modified tornado crowd meter that they used in the skill matches. We'll just have to see. But what's written on the graphic that was published by SRG Universe for Faction Wars 3 says singles match, no DQ, no count. That's the crowd meter they're using. Again, could be wrong. This match is also one fall to a finish. The winner earns two points for their team. The deck lists for Phase 2 are due by Monday, January 3rd. So just over a couple weeks. The matches must be played by the 30th of January. So this phase will last almost the entire month of January. Like each of the previous phases, the deck lists for one of the type, one of the categories of matches, is the same deck list for both. So for example, the Tornado players, the deck lists they use in the skill matches are the same decks, same deck list they have to use in the Tornado Plus matches. They can't have one deck for each. You can't have a deck for the skill matches and a deck for the tag team matches. One deck for every type of match you may be playing in Phase 2. That is all I have for Faction Wars 3 Phase 2. I was hoping to have some news about the 2021 Create a Competitor competition. It had been announced that it would kick off after PAX Unplugged. I was assuming and hoping it would start this week, this past Wednesday. It did not. I don't know when it's going to start. Nothing has been said about when it's supposed to start. Now, 
and this is just my opinion, and this is not meant to diminish anything that Pat Mulligan does for the 2021 CCC. We all appreciate his efforts in running the CCC year after year. To me, it needs to start no later than the week of the 27th. Ideally, it starts this week. Sometime this week we have the first match of the first round. The reason I'm saying that is this. This is the 2021 CCC. While we know the bulk of it is going to take place in 2022, some of it needs to actually happen the year of the contest. There actually needs to be some matches in 2021. That's why I was pretty sure it was going to start this past week because there are only three weeks left, counting last week in 2021, only two weeks left now, meaning at most, based on the scheduling they have used in the past two matches before the end of the year. I know that there might be some temptation to say, wait until after the holidays, because obviously Christmas is less than one week from today, as I record this, December 19th. New Year's is one week after that. I think the contest needs to start in 2021 because it's the 2021 CCC. So I urge them, if possible, try to get this contest started either this week coming up or next week. Again, this is not meant to be disrespectful to Patrick Mulligan. I just want that out there in case people read it that way. But in my opinion, the 2021 CCC needs to start in 2021. The other thing that I hoped to have reported on today was the monthly match card. There was supposed to be originally scheduled for tonight, December 19th, a triad match for the Cookies Fortune between Practicite, Yasmin, and James Booker, and then a match for the World Heavyweight Championship between the champion Kirk Polka and a Neelan to be revealed at the start of the match. This, from what I've seen, has been pushed to December 20th, so the results won't be on this week's show. They'll be on next week's show. And since we're talking about championship matches, here's some more championship match news I'm going to give you. The United States Championship will be defended Wednesday night after Talk of the Universe. This is December 22nd. Eddie Fury, the champion, will be defending against Ken Fouché, the Grim Librarian. We also have an announcement for the next contender for the Triad Championship. They have picked three people who held the 24-7 balloon belt over PAX Unplugged to compete for a shot at the Triad Championship. Those three are JVD, Dan McGinn, and Michael Nichols. They can play any competitor they want to play in this match. And then the winner will go on to face Jacob Maynard, the champion with Scott Prime. I do not recall 
if there's already another contender because the triad championship is defended in triad matches. So I don't know if they're taking the top two from this or if this is just how they're determining one of the two challengers for Jacob Mead. But that has also been announced to date and time to be announced later. But those three men will square off for a shot to face Jacob Maynard for the LFF Triad Championship. There's been an announcement for the next challengers for the Deep South Tag Team Championships. I believe the current champions are Kirk Polka and Shane Strickland using Officer Breezes and Deputy Dango. The challengers that have been announced are Simon Strauss and Stephen Owen. Now, a little bit of controversy here because Simon Strauss does not live in the region. He does not live in the Deep South. He lives in the Tri-State region. In order to be in this match, he had to renounce his affiliation with the Tri-State region to play in the Deep South region. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I tend to be against it. You know, the regions exist for a reason. I know he technically renounced it, but I would say he can easily unrenounce it just as easily as he renounced it. I don't hold a lot of stock in Simon Strauss has forever given up his right to play for a tri-state championship. I understand that they made the exception for Simon Strauss because he and Stephen Owen are an established tag team. But gut feeling, I don't like it. I'm not for it. And I will say, as I was recording this, ACCW has been having a local event. I don't have the results of that local event for the most part. But the Deep South Championship was defended at their event. The champion, Mac McPeak, with Yiva Lionheart, took on Nick Baxter using the Mark Jeff Bravo. Apparently Nick Baxter won a four-person playing event to get this shot. He took the champion all the way to crowd meter three, which is the deepest anyone's gone against Mac McPeak, Mac Attack, in a championship match for the Deep South Championship. The winner in the end... Locking in the submission finish, making the opponent tap out. Mac McPeak. Mac McPeak is still the Deep South champion from what I heard. She has now successfully defended that belt four times. Congratulations to her. Outside of this, that's pretty much the news with the exception of the online tournaments from this past week. I'll go through those in a moment. I will give a little bit of an update on new product releases. From what I understand, the product that was supposed to release at PAX Unplugged, of course, did not make it to PAX Unplugged. I don't know if it's going to be on the website. Nothing's been announced there. The New South Pro Wrestling box sets did go up on sale on the website for a pre-order for another print run. I had hoped that there would be enough left from the Winter Wars Rumble 2 event, and I also knew they were sending some to another New South Pro Wrestling event that I believe took place last night as I recorded this. I was hoping between those two events, there might be some left to ship out. Apparently, everything that did not sell 
at Winter Wars Rumble 2 has been given to New South Pro Wrestling. So if you're trying to get the New South Pro Wrestling box sets through SRG Universe, the only way is to wait for the next print run, which the date I believe I saw was February of 2022. We'll just have to wait and see you know, if that actually is the date. But those currently are on pre-order if you're looking to get one of the sets. With that, let's start talking about the two tournaments from this week. The Proven Ground on Monday and Chibi's Seat of Power on Thursday. We'll start with the Proven Ground. This past Proven Ground was played using the Bluegrass Beatdown Stipulation created by Greg Shockley. In this stipulation, your stop cards do not count as leads or follow-ups for card checks if they were hit on your opponent's turn. They're still visible for gimmicks and other card effects, but not for the basic lead follow-up finish. So, for example... Let's say my opponent plays a lead strike and I play a follow-up to then stop that lead strike. I cannot next turn if I have no other follow-ups in play, no leads in play, I cannot play the finish. I have to play a lead on my turn and a follow-up on my turn in order to be able to play a finish. On my turn. Any leads or follow up that I played as stops on my opponent's turn do not count toward me being able to play a follow up if I have no other leads in play or a finish if I have no other follow ups in play. After the initial rounds, the top four in this event were in fourth place, playing as Wooly Bully, Jeremy Steigerwald. In third place, playing as Kota Ibushi. Bob Dunn in second place, playing as Sage the Wicked Witch, Nick Baxter, and the winner, winning his first ever online event using the second version of Mr. Snap, Ronnie Rooms. I apologize if I'm getting your name wrong, but Ronnie R., currently still in the Rising Stars tournament, won the Monday night Proving Ground tournament. Next week for the Proving Ground, there's a very complicated stipulation created by the men behind Back Hurton, Jacob Denmark, and Evan Harris. This is the sketchy backyard ring stipulation designed to capture the feel of sketchy backyard wrestling. This is a no count out, no disqualification match, and the number of breakout rolls cannot be reduced. Meaning, if you play Circle of the Sun, your opponent still has three breakout rolls. Circle of the Sun will not reduce that from three to one. The match starts out with a maximum hand size of 12. The hand size decreases as the crowd meter goes up. We're going to go through what each portion of the crowd meter does. It's a very complicated crowd meter. It starts off at crowd meter zero. If you have entrance, live music by Bilo Revealed, your first turn roll is plus three. So if you play with that entrance card, you get plus three to your first turn roll. All finishes have the added text, your finish roll is minus two. When the crowd meter goes up to level one, 
the ropes are loosening. The hand size drops to 11. The following text is, the text on the stipulation here is, before hitting a card with rope, flying, or high in the name, roll a safety check. If you roll technique or agility, your card hits. If not, your card is blank, and your next turn roll is minus two. So if you hit a card with one of those three keywords in the name, you roll your skill die. If anything other than technique or agility comes up, card text is blank. Next turn rolls minus two. The next crowd meter at level two is the exposed turnbuckles meter. Hand size drops to ten. The new text on this is cards with corner, turnbuckle, or ring step in the name have the added text. Your opponent's next turn roll is minus two. When you go up to three, boards are exposed, hand size drops to nine. Cards with drop, slam, suplex, or driver in the name have the added text. Both players bury two cards in their hand. Finished grapples have the added text. Your finish rolls plus one. Crowd meter four, the ropes broke, hand size now at eight. Cards with rope flying or high in the name have blank text. Cards with out of the ring or over the top of the name have the added text. Your opponent randomly discards one card from their hand. At crowd meter five, the crowd throws trash. Hand size is now seven. Before hitting a card with charge, charging or run in the name, roll a safety check. If you roll strike or grapple, your card hits. If not, your card is blank and you discard one card you have in play. Cards with trash in the name have the added text. Your next turn roll is plus one. So all the cards with trash in the name have the added text. If you hit a card with charge, charging or run in the name, you roll your skill die. If you roll anything other than strike or grapple, the card's blank, and you discard one card you have in play. Crowd mirror six, a flaming table. Hand size is now six. When there's a card with table in the name, in play and you hit a card with fire or burn in the name, roll a safety check. If you roll power, technique, or strike, the fire is spread and your opponent may put a card with fire or burn in the name from their hand or discard pile into play. When there's a card with fire and table in the name in play, meaning one card with fire and one card with table, if one has both, I assume it would count for both, but one and one would be fine. Your finish strikes and grapples have the added text. Your finish roll is plus two. So very few finish roll boosts in this. And actually, I misread that. Your finish roll is plus three. So very few finish roll boosts. If you get all the way to seven, at crowd meter seven, the ring collapsed. As soon as this crowd meter is reached, the ring is completely broken, and every player loses. This is not a draw you all lose. So you must win by crowd meter six. If somebody kicks out at crowd meter six, both players lose. Very unusual stipulation they'll be playing. I'm not sure how this is going to work in practice. I'll be interested to see what Simon Strauss reports as a result of this. If he's running this, I'm not sure if he's running this or not. Apparently, I'm also seeing that Snake Pit is banned, Death Choke for Master Dosmodius, and Seed of Power 
for Chibi. Both of those finishes cannot be used either in this stipulation. Outside of that, though, this match, this tournament, is supposed to kick off tomorrow, December 20th. There could be a conflict with the match card. We'll just have to see. But from what I know, Proving Ground is supposed to kick off on the 20th. And then let's talk about Chibi's seat of power from this last Thursday. This is Chibi's Seat of Power, Season 2, Week 3. There were 32 players this week. Eight groups of four, top two from each group advancing to the top cut. Meaning we have a top cut of 16. In the round of 16, it looks like all the matches were played with the crowd meter starting at crowd meter 1. So standard crowd meter accepted starts at 1 instead of 0. In the quarterfinal round, all the matches were steel cage matches. In the semifinal round, they were all Liger's Den matches. And the finals match, as well as the third place match, was played using the TLC stipulation. The top four were, in fourth place, using Ra-Ra Perry, Ra-Ra's father, Mark Perry. In third place, using Johnny Gargano, Brian, wait for it, Schmidt. In second place, using Sage the Wicked Witch, hold the line Harry, and the winner, using Scarlet Graves, L Super Jimbre. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to all the winners from this past week. Now, as far as events coming up for next week, as of right now, on supershowthegame.com, there is nothing listed. Now, I would assume you can expect to see Proving Ground Monday night, especially with the big announcement of that stipulation that I just ran over. I assume there will be Dojo Tuesday night. And now's a good time to mention they've had that ongoing Dojo contest where they have two players on the Dojo, each representing a faction. The player with the best record earns a spot for their faction in an upcoming tournament. The two factions that we had were the Crime Wave and the Firing Squad. The Crime Wave was represented by Jokerfish. The Firing Squad was represented by Swaggy D, the winner. Jokerfish, meaning Crime Wave, gets a spot in the upcoming tournaments. This next week, we're going to have the Mew World Order versus Impact. It's been announced that the Cheetah Ian Chambers will represent the MWO. We do not know as of right now who the Impact player will be. But those two will face off for a spot in this upcoming tournament. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Outlaw Mudcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to urge you all to vote for JAC in the upcoming CCC. And good day.